0: looking then at this idea of death and glory, that the death of Christ opened the door of glory to the people who would come to faith in Jesus. There are seven words, seven sayings, not single words, sentences that Jesus spoke from the cross. We need to understand how he could do that. You don't get chatty on a cross. You understand that, as we've just seen a little picture of, he was nailed probably through his ankles, but maybe through his feet. And so every time he wants to take a breath, he has to push down on nails just to get breath into his lungs. He has to pull up. Probably the the nail went through the uh, wrist there, across the median nerve. And uh, he would have to pull up against iron on bone, to get breath into his body so that he could speak. And so you can understand that he doesn't waste any words. The words that he used on the cross were significant. He brought them for a reason. A- and if we want to get them all together, we've got to go through all the Gospels. You know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Not one of them contains all of the seven sayings. But they're all there, so you got to shuffle, if that's an allowed word, them into order. And the first one is the one that's before us today. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. We need to understand that at this point, Jesus is acting as a high priest. He is fulfilling the same function that the high priest did when he went into the temple in Jerusalem to offer the gift of the sacrifice of blood on the altar. But Jesus isn't just the priest, he is also the sacrifice. so this is his high priestly prayer. And if we want to know what the cross is about, straight away we find out it's about forgiveness. J.C. Ryle, who was the first bishop of Liverpool, wrote this. As soon as the blood of the great sacrifice began to flow, the great high priest began to intercede. You understand? We learn three things from this prayer. The first is we learn our need of forgiveness. Father, forgive them. Secondly, we learn who we've offended. Our offense is not just against Jesus. It's against Father God, the one who created us and loved us and now wants to buy us back for himself. I remember a story (coughs) of a little boy who built a yacht. It was to sail on the boating lake. And if you ever went to the boating lakes as a little boy, I used to go to one at New Brighton. And uh, he learned to sail the yacht I- I- in a big circle. You see, he'd seen his friends playing with a yacht and he would said to his dad, Dad, can I have a yacht? And his dad said, I'm sorry, I-, I-, I can't afford to buy you one, but we can make one. And so they crafted it together in the shed. Mum built a sail for it. Dad hammered an iron keel for it. They painted it bright yellow. And there it was on the boating lake, round in a big circle. But some of his friends said to him, hmm, can you do that on the sea? And so he tried it on the sea. And the first time, set the sail right, went round in a big circle. But the second time, the wind caught the sail, came off the pin, and out it went to sea. He'd lost it. That boat that he'd made himself. And it's sailing out to sea. He runs in after it, but it's too late. It's gone. Weeks later, end of the summer, he's walking past the general post office. There in the window is the boat. And it's standing there in all its finery. He goes into the postman. He says, That's my boat! Most of them said, I'm sorry, I paid good money for that. It was caught in a fisherman's net. And if you want it, you're going to have to pay me back what I paid for it. <laughs> ten pounds. The boy didn't have ten pounds. He got a pound a week pocket money. He went to his dad. He said, Dad, my boat's in the wind. Or I need ten pounds. Dad said to him, if you want the ten pounds, you are have to give up your pocket money. A pound a week. Until he paid for it. What did he choose? He chose the sacrifice. He chose his boat and he went with his ten pounds and he got it back. You know what he said? It's twice mine. That's what he said to his friends. It's twice mine. I made it, I bought it back. See what's happening at the cross. The father made us in the first place, and then we were lost. paid the price to buy us back. He bought it back. The one we've offended is Father God. And in between the offended God and the need of forgiveness, Jesus is raised up. He said, if I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. And between an offended God and a wicked creation, Jesus intervenes as high priest with his blood forgive our sins. The ministry of high priest. Is described. In the book of Hebrews. It says. Every, pri- <coughs> excuse me. every high priest. Is selected from among men. To a, uh, and is appointed to represent them. In matters related to God. To offer gifts. And sacrifices for sin. That was the job of a high priest. He was a representative man. He represented. And Jesus is representing mankind he's not standing there on his own behalf he's a man and it needs to be that a man represents mankind animal sacrifices that were not enough and so christ stands before god as the sacrifice for sin and he needs something to offer what does he offer he offers gifts and sacrifices his gift is his obedience his sacrifice is his blood. And the timing is so very, very important because it was as they were crucifying him. Uh, in, in the clip that we saw, the saying came after. But it seems from what we read, it says, when they came to the place of the school, there they crucified him. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. In that very moment, As the nails are being forced through his wrists, he prays, "Father, forgive them." The cross is all about forgiveness, and what he's doing is he's making a covenant. I don't know if you know much about covenants, and I'll I'll look at it one day with you. But covenant's very interesting. A a covenant is a binding agreement, and the two parties that enter into it are bound by it. And so God binds himself, not just in a covenant, covenants could be over pieces of land or anything in the Bible, but he binds himself by a blood covenant. That's the most sacred kind of covenant there is, to act in a certain way towards us. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread and broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. He took wine and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant. There'd been an old one with Moses. That was only for the people of Israel. The new covenant was for all nations, for anyone who would come. And he pours out now on the cross the blood of the covenant. That's important. God acts in the world in the way that he's promised to act. Not in the way we think he will. If he hasn't promised to do it, he won't do it. And so if we come under the blood of the covenant, the promises that he has given work for us. And if we don't, the promises that he has given will still be in effect understand there are promises that happen if we take the covenant and there are promises that happen if we don't take the covenant but it's a binding agreement people think God's free to act as he will he isn't he acts in covenant and that's why you can trust him uh, who are they father forgive them Well, there were three groups around the cross. The first was the ordinary people. The second was the chief priests and leaders. And the third was the Romans. And isn't it odd how the ordinary people treat him? This is Mark 15. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads saying, so you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days... Come down from the cross and save yourselves. I mean, that's just odd. Probably some of them had been there a week ago, before, a week or so before, waving palm branches. Hosanna to the Son of David. Probably some of them had heard him when he gave the Sermon on the Mount. And certainly they'd been there in Jerusalem. When he cleared the temple at the start of his ministry, because they're quoting what he said, he'd gone into the temple, he cleared out the money changers, and the leaders had said, What miraculous sign can you show us to prove that you have authority to do these things? And he replied, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. <laughs> The Jews replied, it's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it again in three days. But John wrote, he was talking about the temple of his body. It was only after his resurrection he realized that. And on the cross, they thought he was a liar. They thought he'd let them down. You're going to destroy the temple and build it in three days? (laughs) What a laugh. Jesus, you've let us down. You can't do what you said you were going to do. He was a failure. Of course, he was doing exactly what he promised, wasn't he? Three days later, he would raise from the dead. He would keep his promise. And so, firstly, they thought that he'd let them down. He hadn't kept his promise. Secondly, they were skeptical about his claim. Matthew 27 Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads, saying, Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. It's that word if, isn't it? If is not a believing word, it's a prove it word. You know, if you're the one, if you're as good as they say you are, prove it. They're looking for proof. They don't believe that he is. God's son. That was always the Jewish problem, wasn't it? Um, (laughs) It says in John 5, the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he said God was his father, making himself equal with God. We we missed the point a little bit. The point is this. Every species begets according to its own kind. Yeah? So when Anne-Marie had children, they came out human. It's just like pretty obvious really. And when an eagle has babies, they are eaglets. And when a lamb, a sheep has babies, they are lambs. When a horse has babies, they are foals. Each species begets according to his own kind. If God begets a son, that son must have the nature of its father. That's what the Jews understood when they said he's claiming to be equal with God. To claim to be the Son of God is to claim to have the nature of God. And they weren't willing to believe it. They said, prove it. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross and we will believe in you. Of course, the classic description of that faith is in the Nicene Creed. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. There are many sons and daughters of God, but there's only one begotten Son of God. He's the only begotten Son. That's Jesus, of one being with the Father. The people misunderstood his words, They felt let down by him, and they would not believe that he was the Son of God. What about chief priests? Uh, There you go. Yeah, good. What about the chief priests? Well, if the people misunderstood, the chief priests determined. That they would not believe. They were, if you like, protecting their, yeah, their position in society. You see, what was Jesus accused of? Do you know why he was put on the cross? You would find out why a person was on the cross. Because they put the charge above their head. And that was to warn you not to do that stuff, you know. So if it said thief, oh, better not thieve, I'll end up like that. What was put over Jesus' head? Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. In fact, it says Pilate wrote in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. And the chief priest complained, do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews, but Pilate said, What I have written, what I've written. He saw something of the kingly bearing of Jesus. In their conversation in John 18, he says to Jesus, Are you a king then? And Jesus replies, You're right to say that I'm a king, but my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate saw. The kingly bearing of Jesus. He proclaimed that he was dying for being the king of the Jews. The Jewish leaders thought if we kill him, he'll never become a king. They were actually opening the door of his kingdom. They got it wrong. But they didn't want King Jesus. They resisted him. And you know what? Stubborn unbelief like that is still with us. If somebody doesn't want to believe... Even when you show them the proof, they'll turn away from it. What happened a few days later? Jesus came out from the grave. The soldiers that had been on guard at the tomb ran back and told the high priest and all the leaders, we've seen an angel, the stone's been rolled away, he's out of the grave, we are terrified. What did they do? Did they believe? they made up a story and paid them money so that they would say his body was stolen away. And that that uh, story was largely circulated even to the time when this Bible was written down. If you don't want to believe, you will always find a reason not to. Even when the proof stares you in the face. That was the uh, leaders. What about the third group? The Roman soldiers, well, they are described, actually, in Psalm 22 as the congregation of the wicked gathering around him. And it says what they would do. They divide garments, my garments among them, and cast lots for my clothing. Their involvement is there. You would say of the soldiers that they had no interest in Jesus. They were disinterested. They were just following orders. Isn't it interesting how somebody who has no interest can be so brutal against him? Matthew 27. They spat on him and took their staff and struck him on the head again and again. It wasn't their king. They had no love of Jesus. And the person who says they're disinterested, you push him a bit and say, but let's talk about it. They'll soon get very angry against Jesus. You know, we still make the same excuses. Those three kinds of people are still around the cross today. The people who feel let down by Jesus. And they say, if he was God, this shouldn't have happened. You know, when something goes wrong in your life, It either makes you bitter or it makes you better. There's only two ways to be. Around the cross, we either worship him or we turn against him. And and rotten things happen in this world. They do, don't they? You know, and and some of you will have had rotten things happen in your life. I've met people and and they just mourning about the death of a child. And I'm not saying it was right, it's not. But, but they are wounded deeply within their spirits. And, and what can they say? And They blame God. If God was God, this shouldn't have happened. Or perhaps it's an illness, or perhaps it's a marriage gone wrong, or perhaps it's something in their work, or something in their own health. There are so many things. And people they blame God. If you had been their God. This shouldn't have happened. They think that they're not loved. What they can't see is that God is acting. They just don't understand what He's doing. What He's doing is He's paying the price to set them free from sin for time and eternity. The cross doesn't stop in time, it goes right through to eternity. You may or may not have heard the the wonderful poem by Edward Shilliter. This was written in the First World War when people were in great pain and anguish. Three verses of it. It's called Jesus of the Scars. He says, If we have never sought, we seek you now. Your eyes burn through the dark, our only stars. We must have sight of thorn marks on your brow. We must have you, O Jesus of the scars. The heavens frighten us. They are too calm. In all the universe, there is no place. Our wounds are hurting us. Where is the balm? Lord Jesus, by your scars, we claim your grace. The other gods were strong, but you were weak. They rode But you did stumble to a throne, and to our wounds only God's wounds can speak. And what a God has wounds, but you alone. Are you wounded? Have you been wounded in this life? I know you have. No other God understands. Only Jesus has wounds. And I tell you this, there's healing in his wounds. By his stripes you are healed. Oh, this is our Jesus. How wonderful. How marvelous. And my song shall ever be. How wonderful. How marvelous is my Savior's love for me. Don't be like those people around the cross that felt let down. Because Jesus didn't do it their way. It has to be his way. You need to be in covenant with him. You need to be under the covenant of the blood. And those stubborn unbelievers that wouldn't believe, (laughs) well, stubbornness is still part of the human soul, isn't it? Have you ever had a conversation with somebody and and you've answered their question? And then they said, but what about this one? So you answer that one. And they say, well, what about that one? And it just goes on and in the end you're tired out. Somebody doesn't want to believe, they won't. If somebody says, I will believe it when I see it, they will never believe it, because they're never going to see it. You see, Jesus works the other way around. Believe it, then you'll see it. Salvation is by faith, and we have to come first in believing. And what about those who say they don't care? They're not interested in Jesus. Well, their anger against him shows that they're not disinterested. They're actually on the other side. They're against him. But there was one little bit more he said. (coughs) Uh, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. That's a tough one. What does he mean? Does he mean forgive them because they don't understand what they're doing? In other words, they're ignorant, therefore they should be forgiven. Is that what it means? I don't think so. Because we know, don't we, that ignorance is no excuse of the law. Yeah? You drive the wrong way down a one-way street. Yeah? You may not know that you're going the wrong way down that street. But when the policeman sees you, excuses aren't going to do it. Ignorance is not an excuse. He's not saying forgive them because of their ignorance. What he's saying is even forgive this perverse, angry, foolish ignorance. It's a prayer for greater grace. That ignorant, stubborn, stupid sins would even still be forgiven. And I'm grateful for that. I you? there was a time when I was ignorant ignorant of Jesus and what he did. Didn't care. Didn't want to know. And he prays, Father, forgive them. This great ignorance. They don't know what they are doing. There was a fourth group around the cross. There weren't many of them there. There was Mary. And Mary. And John. And Peter, a little while away, if we get the idea from Peter that he heard what was happening at the cross, but he couldn't see it. Just a small group of believers. How should a believer respond? <coughs> well, we already know that. We've been told many times in the scripture, when the woman who was caught in adultery came to him and there was nobody to accuse her, what did you say? Neither do I accuse you, but go and sin no more. Or if you want to put it in modern parlance, go and leave your life of sin. Peter said the same thing. Fifty days later on the day of Pentecost, he had a crowd in front of him, thousands of people. And this is what he said to them. "It's, It's bold as brass, I tell you. He said, you killed the author of life. It were you. But God raised him from the dead. Now, brothers, I know you acted in ignorance. There's that word as did your leaders. So what should you do? Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and times of refreshing come from the Lord. Ignorance is no excuse. But when we repent of ignorance, when we turn to God, it can be forgiven. He's still our high priest. He still stands before the throne of heaven showing His wounds. He offers his blood. He offers his prayer. And our prayer, well, it needs to echo the same prayer, doesn't it? Father, forgive me. I did not know what I was doing. That's the right prayer. And when we make that prayer, that's the prayer that all of heaven hears and rejoices in. I think I have put a prayer at the end of uh, the message, and it's behind me, so I can't see it, but it's in the book, so that's good. And uh, I just wondered, is this a prayer that perhaps you'd like to say? You might not have said a prayer like this before, or you might have done we've talked about the cross, and it's about forgiveness. And this asks for forgiveness. I'll just read it to you. Father, forgive when counting this world too dear. We forsake your son and forget your love. Forgive us, Lord, when in pride we say, I have no sins to confess today. Forgive us when in scoffing rude our lives and words betray your blood. Spirit of God, come cleanse us now. And by your power, apply the blood. Our high priest stands in heaven above. His prayer is sure. His hands drip love. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that today you still stand as high priest. Praying for all who would come in faith to you. Praying for me. Thank you that we may draw near to the Father. Through the sacrifice of the Son the power of the Holy Spirit. That's a good prayer. Is it one that you would say yourself? I know for many of you, you'll have already said prayers like that. But perhaps today, the first time you want to say a prayer that puts your life in the hands of Jesus. What a better time to do it than at the start of Easter. The Easter season. First Sunday of Lent. Think. Are you up for it? If you've never done it, only you know that. Let's pray and have a moment of business with God. And if you want to pray this prayer, I'm going to read it again through, and you can pray it just from your heart to God and mean it. So we pray, Father, forgive. And I've counted this world too dear and forsaken your Son and forgotten your love. Forgive me, Lord, when in pride I've said that I have no sins to confess today. Forgive me, Lord, when my scoffing and life has betrayed your. spirit I pray that you would come and cleanse me now by the power of the Holy Spirit apply your blood to me be my high priest you stand in heaven above cleanse me now I thank you lord that today you are still there praying for me May I draw near to my heavenly Father through the blood of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, I believe you died for me. And I give my life to your care. if you said that for the first time the Lord knows that he sees your heart if that wasn't your time to say that's okay and if you said it for the umpteenth time he knows the recommitment that you make but if you did say it for the first time would you come and shake my hand afterwards and say I said that prayer and I meant it would you do that it's up to you you don't have to but God sees but that way I can encourage you let's close as we sing together